Well, something like Kids Club doesn't happen without a lot of people doing a lot of work. So thank you for serving to make it a great week, a special week, a fun week, a meaningful week for kids, for our whole church, really. I don't know if you've heard about the archaeological discovery that was made. If not, I, I, I want to tell you they found the prayer book of Jesus. It's not quite right to call it a prayer book. They don't know exactly what to call it because it has like poems and songs and prayers in it. And obviously it's old. I mean, Jesus used it, right? So it's thousands of years old. But in this prayer book, it's got the prayers that Jesus prayed at really important moments in his life. Like when he was out in the desert facing temptation uh, with Satan, these are the prayers he prayed. Or when he was in the Garden of Gethsemane the night before he was crucified and he was trying to surrender his life to God, these are the prayers that he prayed. It's like in Luke 5.16, it says, Jesus often withdrew. So in other words, it was his normal practice. It wasn't just something every once in a while or if there was a crisis, but, but he often withdrew to lonely places to be by himself, away from a cell phone, away from uh, the, the static, the noise of, of life. And he prayed there. Just his normal practice, get away, gotta be with God, and I'm gonna get here and just pray. And we find out in some places in the gospel that when he did this, it wasn't just like, a few minutes. I mean, he prayed all night sometimes. And whenever I read verses like that, I'm a little bit blown away because I have a hard time praying for like 10 minutes without my mind wandering to something else. And so how does Jesus get alone and pray? Like, what does he pray? What do those prayers look like? And so that's this prayer book of Jesus. It, it kind of gives us an insight into those prayers, the, song, the, the songs, the poems that, that shaped his heart and mind, and it can shape ours because we can pray them and, and we give us the courage and the faith and the poise that we need to, to live our life. Well, well, the good news is that you can get Jesus' prayer book off Amazon. You can download it on your phone because what you've probably already figured out by now is that this prayer book of Jesus is the book of Psalms. It's been in your Old Testament this whole time. And, and it might be obvious, but it's nonetheless true that the Psalms really were the prayers that Jesus prayed at all times of his life. They really were the songs and the poems that shaped his mind. The earliest psalm written was probably written around 1400 BC, very approximate. And the last one, again approximately, is written about 400 BC. But while they were being written in every century since, they have been the place that, that Christians have turned because the psalms contain every emotion known by human beings. Joy and sorrow. Uh, uh, doubt and hope. Praise and perplexity that comes with living in this world. And of course, every emotion in between. Of all the books of the Old Testament, the one that's quoted most in the New Testament, the book of Psalms, which of course means it was very important to the people in the early church. It's more than that though. It's like their hearts, their minds, their souls just marinated in the Psalms. So that you can't really understand who Jesus is, not fully apart from them. See, it's not like the apostles started to write the New Testament and they go, hey, you know what? Since Jesus came, all that old stuff, we don't really need that anymore. Let's, let's move on to the new stuff. They don't do that at all. 
Instead, they say, if you don't understand what God's saying in the Old Testament, if you don't understand what God's saying in the Psalms, then you don't know what he's up to. You don't know exactly what Jesus' mission is. So this summer, we're going to spend our time on Sunday mornings in the Psalms. Now, there's 150 Psalms, so obviously we're not getting to them all this summer. But we're going to try to expose you to as many different kinds of Psalms as we can. And today we're going to be in Psalm 77. And, and Psalm 77 is one of the Psalms of lament. Probably a third, maybe even more than that, uh, of the Psalms contains some sort of lament inside them. You think, lament, what, what exactly is lament? Well, when you lament when you express deep sorrow. Lamenting is, is expressing deep grief. There's a book in the Old Testament called Lamentations. It's five chapters long. And every chapter is a lament. That, that they're lamenting or expressing their deep sorrow and grief over the fact that Jerusalem was destroyed. And, and they're lamenting the, the sins that led to Jerusalem being destroyed, as well as all the pain that resulted from Jerusalem being destroyed. So you lament, you cry out to God. You, you beseech God. You bring the sadness of life before God. And in each psalm of lament, they're, they're lamenting different things. Like sometimes they lament their own sin and the consequences of that sin in their life and, and inside their family. So, so you feel sad and grieve over your own bad choices. Sometimes they lament the injustices of the world. And they look around and say, this is a broken world. It's not the way it's supposed to be. And they bring that before God. Sometimes they're lamenting a personal crisis. But that means that in our life, we might be lamenting something like the damage that alcohol abuse has done inside our life or our family. Or we might lament uh, school children being murdered in Uvalde, Texas. Or we might lament infertility or the suffering that comes from divorce. Any part of your life, any heartache, any pain, any sadness can be lamented before God. Every lament in the psalm asks two kinds of questions, two kinds of questions. The, the first one is just, God, why haven't you abandoned me? Have you ever felt like that? That you've kind of looked around at your life and looked around at the world and thought, God, where are you? Why have you left me? And the second kind of question that the uh, Psalms of Lament ask is, if you really love me, God, why is this happening? I think we can identify with those kinds of questions. And, and these kind of questions, they, they get fleshed out in Psalm 77, the Psalm we're looking at today, in, in this way. They, they, the Psalmist says, has the Lord rejected me forever? Will he never again be kind to me? Is his unfailing love gone forever? Have his promises permanently failed? Has God forgotten to be gracious? Has he slammed the door on his compassion? And those are hard questions. You can feel the passion. You can feel the sadness in the person who's asking those kinds of questions. Because the, the, the Psalms of Lament, they don't shy away from the hard stuff. They, they deal really directly, like head on, with the pain that we experience in life. 
The Bible's not Pollyannish. It's not pie in the sky. It's not overly optimistic. It never denies the painful realities of life. And I think the reason the Bible is like that is because we follow one who experienced pain. We call Lord one who had a hard life. Listen to how Isaiah 53 talks about Jesus. It says, He was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering and familiar with pain. So we're not above our master, right? No servant is above his master. And so if we call Jesus Lord and he was despised and he was rejected, and he was a person of suffering, and he was familiar with pain, then the question I have is, why is it that we're so ill-equipped to deal with the painful things that come in our life? Why are we so ill-equipped? If we call Jesus Lord and he's one who is familiar with pain, why is it that we don't know how to deal with it in our life? Why do we get frustrated with other people because they won't get through their pain, their hardship quicker? Like, we're busy. We got stuff to do. Get over it. Why are we that way? You ever noticed, at least this is true of my experience, maybe true of yours, that, that, that people sit down with you one-on-one and they will tell you their story, even the hard parts, the painful parts, the heartaches, the disappointments, the things that really hurt. But then when people come into a church, here's what they say on Sunday morning. I want upbeat. I want upbeat music, upbeat sermon. I want want a feel-good service. It's like we don't tolerate sadness. We We don't tolerate grief. We don't have any place in our life, in our church, in our world for the Psalms of Lament. Because imagine if you walk in on a Sunday and you're asking the kinds of questions that that the uh, psalmist in Psalm 77 were asking. And and, and every Sunday, I'm not talking about any particular Sunday, but every Sunday, Sunday after Sunday, you walked in with those kind of questions and people said, hey, leave your troubles at the door. Hey, smile if you love Jesus. Hey, if you had more faith, things would be better for you. Just, Just believe, just believe. God's got a plan. How would you feel? I mean, if that happened every Sunday, Sunday after Sunday, you start to think, well, maybe God has abandoned me. My church doesn't understand me. Maybe I'm the weird one. I I don't fit here. There's a guy named Paul Brand who is an excellent surgeon, a top-notch surgeon, and he was a Christian. And so he uh, took his medical expertise out into the world. And he went to India and other parts of the developing world that didn't have access to medical care. And he practiced his uh, medicine, his surgery there. And then after decades, he came back to the United States. Listen to what he says. Paul Brand says, In the United States, I encountered a society that seeks to avoid pain at all costs. Sounds like us, doesn't it? Sounds like you and me. Seek to avoid pain at all cost. Patients lived at a greater comfort level than any I had previously treated, but they seemed far less equipped to handle suffering and far more traumatized by it. Why are we less equipped, like psychologically, emotionally, physically, spiritually? Why are we less equipped to deal with suffering? Why are we more traumatized by it? Do you think there's a connection maybe between... um, our being ill-equipped and us not being familiar with the Psalms of lament. Because maybe, maybe 
God's plan for us to be able to live in this broken world is the Psalms of Lament. You know, maybe that's part of God's divine plan. Let's go back to the first verses, the opening verses of Psalm 77. This guy who wrote it, his name's Asaph, Asaph. And he just says, I cry out to God. Yes, I shout. Oh, that God would listen to me. When I was in deep trouble, I searched for the Lord. All night long, I prayed with hands lifted toward heaven. But my soul was not comforted. I think of God and I moaned, overwhelmed with longing for his help. Asaph had problems. We don't know exactly what they were, but, but he felt them. There were deep troubles that overwhelmed him. And so he's shouting out, crying out, begging God to intervene. You can feel the tears coming down as he writes this. His troubles have persisted and they've kept him up all night. He can't sleep. He's praying. His hands are lifted to heaven, but he gets no comfort. He experiences no comfort from God. What do we do with that? Can you identify with him? There's a kind of rawness to it that makes us uncomfortable. It's like, should that really be in the Bible? Because it doesn't sound like what the prosperity teachers tell me. They tell me, believe God and things will go well. They tell me if I have faith, then things will be pretty happy for me. Maybe not perfect, but pretty good. And that health and wealth I have, well, that's because Jesus loves me, right? That's what the prosperity teachers tell you, but not what the psalmist tells you. You know what this does? fit with, and that's our experience. Because I'm not just saying your life, but the people you know, the circle of friends and acquaintances you have, don't they have deep problems? I mean, just in the last few weeks, just, this is just me, not something I read about on the internet, not, not something I read about in social media, just people I know and have a relationship with. They, they've gone through this. One, had an infant die while in their care. Another had a young child drown and miraculously recover. One had a double mastectomy to try to prevent uh, an aggressive form of cancer from spreading. One's father was murdered. One uh, sought marriage counseling. Many teens sought uh, help counseling for anxiety. One has had a debilitating and chronic illness turn their family upside down and inside out. Another is watching alcohol and addiction dissolve their family. And that's just me. In the last couple of weeks, oh, and a couple of nights ago, somebody in our church, they had their whole house burned down and left without anything. The reality is I probably forgot some. So, so we have lots to lament. Let, let, let's take a closer look and kind of make some observations about lamenting based on Psalm 77. And the first thing we see is that it takes faith to lament. Let's say it's Saturday morning and you want to sleep in, but you have young kids and young kids don't know how to sleep in, right? So you've closed your door, you've maybe even locked it, but here they are banging on your door saying, we want waffles, we want waffles Please, please, we want waffles, right? And, and you're frustrated, but maybe you should be honored. Because, because what your kids didn't do 
is they didn't go down the street banging on all the other doors of the neighborhood, at least I hope they didn't, saying, we demand waffles. What they did is they banged on your door, and the reason they banged on your door is because they know you love them. They're, they're bringing their needs to you is a proof of your relationship, that, that you are good to them, that they know you and trust you. That's why they cry out to you with their needs. The opposite happened in a, a, an orphanage. Russell Moore tells the story. He was adopting a couple little boys from Russia. And he said when he walked into the orphanage filled with infants and young children, he said it was eerily quiet. Nobody cried. Why? Well, it's not because they didn't have needs. Of course, they had lots of needs. It's because they'd learned that crying didn't help. It learned that when they cried out about their needs, when they shouted about things that were wrong, no one cared enough to come to them. No one comforted them. It didn't do any good. So they were silent. They learned that no one cared. See, crying out to God with the hardships and the heartaches and the pain in your life is a sign of faith. It's a sign of faith. So let's go back to those questions asked in Psalm 77. Has the Lord rejected me forever? Will he never again be kind to me? Is his unfailing love gone forever? Have his promises permanently failed? Has God forgotten to be gracious? Has he slammed the door on his compassion? So I, I, I have an uncomfortable question. How come this isn't complaining? I mean, we read about Israel complaining in the Old Testament, don't we? And God disciplines them for complaining. So what's the difference between complaining and lament? And I think it has to do with our heart motive. When Israel was out in the desert and they were complaining because God had not provided the food they craved, they were complaining because God had, they said, taken them out in the wilderness to die. They were putting God on trial. They doubted his character. They didn't trust his motives. It's like when the disciples were on the boat and the storm is upon them and they go to wake up Jesus who is sleeping and they shake him and they wake him up and they say to him, teacher, don't you care? We're going to drown. They didn't think Jesus cared about them. And when we complain, we put God on trial. When we complain, we doubt his character. But when we lament, we trust his character. When we lament, we say, God, we know you are good. That's why we're confused. That's why we're upset. God, we know you love us. So that's what doesn't make sense. God, I know you love me, but it doesn't feel like it. A couple weeks ago, I did a funeral of a 58-year-old man. Loved Jesus, part of our church. And he uh, fell dead of a heart attack. Completely suddenly, I mean, if you would have seen him, you would have never have guessed he had had a heart attack at 58 years old. And I was talking with his uh, adult boys in their living room, and they just said, I got a lot of questions. I got a lot of questions for God. I'm confused, I'm hurt, I'm upset. And I said, you know what? God can handle your questions. If the psalmist can ask the questions that we just read, God can handle your questions, the ones that you have about your life and your pain and your experience and why this or that did or did not happen. You can bring those questions to God. You can bring your confusion. You can bring your pain to God. Verse 10. Asaph said, this is my fate. 
the Most High has turned against me. Now, do you think Asaph really believed that God, the Most High, was against him? Based on what he writes next, I, I don't think so. But this is how he felt at the moment. It felt like God had forsaken and abandoned him. And it takes a lot of faith to come to God with that feeling. It takes a lot of faith to not turn and run. It takes a lot of faith to ask God hard questions because you're not just shouting out in the void, you're shouting out to God. Now, now two of the Psalms of Lament, two, they, they, they end right there. They end in the pain. They don't go any further. They never get to hope. They never get to, to, to anything positive. And I think there's something we can learn from that. And that is that we don't always feel better quickly. Right? There's no timetable. There's no formula. And, and I think there's something for us to learn from that. We can't hurry other people up in their grieving and their lamenting, right? It's, it's super hard. If you told me that, okay, you're grieving, you're down, you, you feel uh, abandoned, you're in pain, but you know what? In eight weeks, it'll be over. Or in eight months, it'll be, I go, well, I, I wish I didn't have to wait that long, but I can do that. But, but that's not the way it goes in real life. Grief and mourning and sadness and pain, they're unpredictable. That comes in waves. And sometimes when you think you're over it, then all of a sudden you find yourself crying again. You don't know why or where that came from, but it means that you cannot hurry other people through it. You cannot hurry yourself through it. You do not get to play the Jesus card that says, well, if you really believed in Jesus, then you'd be past this. And Brene Brown says, be careful not to minimize people's pain. Like to find, and Christians do this, we are guilty of this, finding like the Jesus lining, the silver lining, the Jesus lining and everything. And, and she says that, that, that you are tempted to do this. You're going down the wrong road when someone shares something hard and you start to respond by saying, at least. I had a miscarriage. At least you know you can get pregnant. My, my son is flunking out of school. At least your daughter is a good student. But we're so quick to want to run and put a bow and put something positive on it that, that, that we are quick to go to the at least. We're quick to minimize and say it'll all be okay because we feel uncomfortable with the pain. So we want to put a Jesus thing on the end so we can say, okay, now it's all going to be better and move on. But, but two of the Psalms end right there in the pain to say, look, it takes a while. It, it's not predictable. There's no formula. You can be there for who knows how long exactly. But in every other psalm of lament, except those two, every other one, it turns. The psalm turns at some point, and it usually turns around the word but. And that's what happens in Psalm 77. But then I recall all you've done, O Lord. But I remember your wonderful deeds of long ago. So there's a choice that says, I feel this pain and here are my circumstances, but I'm going to recall, but I'm going to remember some things that are true. And what is it that, that the psalmist Asaph wants to remember that's true? Well, it keeps going. When the Red Sea saw you, O God, its waters looked and trembled. This is what he's remembering. He's remembering the sea quake to its very depths. Your road led through the sea, your pathway through the mighty waters, a pathway no one knew was there. 
So it's probably clear what he's recalling and what he's remembering is how God delivered Israel out of Egypt in slavery to the Pharaoh and the Egyptians through the Red Sea, miraculously delivered them and took them to the promised land. And that is a picture of God rescuing us in Jesus because God came and rescued us, not from slavery to the Egyptians, but from slavery to sin and Satan. And God took us through the sea, through the cross, to the promised land that God promises that we will be with him forever. See, what God was reminding uh, Asaph, what he was choosing to recall in his pain was that God had not abandoned him, that God was good in spite of what his circumstances were, that God was good despite how he felt, but that was a choice that he had to get to. It's hard to remember God's goodness when you're in the dark. There's a story that I told I would tell it again because I think it fits. It's a story about a pastor who moves into a new church. He'd moved into the town recently and he was visiting some of the people in his church, getting to know them. And he walked into one family's house and he saw a picture uh, in the living room and it was a picture of a full moon and all it said underneath it was, the moon is round. And that seemed a little odd because of course the moon is round. We all know that. Two and two is four. The sky is blue. The moon is round, right? So he asked, well, you know, what's up with that? And they said, well, our our 14-year-old daughter uh, died of a terminal illness. And for a couple years, she wrestled with it. I mean, physically wrestled with the illness, but also wrestled with God in the middle of this illness that eventually took her life. And she kept this little notebook that she would write out, she would lament, she would pour her heart out to God. And after her death, we went through her notebook and we found wedged into the pages a note card that that just said, the moon is round. And we didn't know what that meant. I mean, whatever, the moon is round. But as we read through the notebook, the parents said, we understood what she was saying. When she said the moon is round, what she was telling herself is that God is good. See, when you go out and look at a moon on any given night, maybe you see the crescent moon or a half moon, quarter moon, whatever it is. But because of where you are and the earth's rotation and all, you can only see part of it. I mean, you only see a little sliver of it. You know, by faith, you know that what's really there is this big, full, beautiful moon. But you can't see it. You just know it's there by faith. And so we're in the middle of hard things. We only see a sliver of God, only a tiny bit of God. But by faith, we know that God is good. By faith, we know that God is with us. By faith, we know that God has not abandoned us. The moon is round and the God is good. Asaph was a leader. He was a leader in the temple worship. The struggles that we lament, they're not for new Christians. They are for all Christians, all human beings. It's always messy though, isn't it? I mean, pain, heartache, tears, Lamenting, it's always messy. It's not something simple and easy that we can schedule. But, but, but here's the key. Keep praying. Don't let your pain sever you from your relationship with God. Pain might very well be the, pain, the, the path back to God. So keep praying. Keep wrestling. Keep struggling. 
because the moon is round and God is good and he has not abandoned you. Let's pray. Father, Lord Jesus, we thank you that you will never leave us or forsake us, that you are with us, that you, a person familiar with pain, listen to our heartache and invite us to pour our heart out to you. And so now, Lord, we pour our heart out to you in lament. We bring before you our own problems as well as our friend, our family, our community. We bring all of our pain before you. Hear our prayers, Lord. Amen.